ago today, uh, my family and I were leaving to go to a week at Mount Hermon. I, was, uh, I taught there last week, and uh, the family went and had just an awesome time. And um, Kelly and I are both type A people. And so our flight left at 8.45, and we left the house at 6 a.m. because we like to be on time. And if you followed the news last Sunday, you might have heard that there was a little bit of an accident on Pena Boulevard. And if you know DIA, which I'm guessing you do, you know that Pena is really the only way to get into that airport. And so we left our house at 6.30, uh, or at 6 o'clock. At 6.30, we were at that stretch on Pena where Pena is heading north, and then it jets east to take you on the final stretch into the airport. And when we turned east, we hit gridlock traffic like I've never seen on that street before. It just came to an absolute screeching halt. Kelly and I looked at each other and said, this isn't good. And we started sort of Googling what's going on. Turns out there was a huge accident up front. And so from 6.30 to 7, we just sat there and didn't move at all. And what we saw on our Apple Maps little map was that there was a shortcut that you could take and you could get off the road and sort of circumvent the issue a little bit. And um, we did that and we ended up in another line of cars. You may have heard also that there were some people who took a shortcut into an open field and they got absolutely stuck. That wasn't us, but we could see them from where we were. And as we're waiting, I'm saying, okay, um, if we get to the airport by 7.45, an hour before our flight's supposed to take off, we're going to be just fine. And it hit 7.45 and that's where we were. And then I said, if we get to the airport by 8 o'clock, I think we're going to be okay. We started to move a little bit more, but we didn't pull into the airport until 8.10. And so for an 8.45 flight, and I went and I parked in short-term parking, which by the way, if you do that for a whole week, costs you $175, I found out, okay? Just that's for free this morning. It wasn't for me. And so, um, and we ran into the airport. We got through security, begging and pleading people um, to let us through. Um, I was in such a hurry. I put all my kids' luggage on the little conveyor belt to go through security, and I left mine there. We got down to the train. I'm standing there empty-handed, and Kelly says to me, where's your bag? And I went, oh, I blew it. I ran back. I said, it's going to be easier to find a flight for one than it is for five. You guys get on the flight. You go. I ran back to security. I said, do you have a bag? And they said, does it have a car seat on it? I'm like, yeah, I'm that idiot. Okay. Um, and I run up to the gate. It's three minutes after the flight was supposed to have taken off. And as I'm running up, they say, are you Mr. Paulson? I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. And so they said, Reed was really worried that you weren't going to make this flight. <laughs> But as, I'm waiting, as we were waiting in line, we saw people who decided that waiting in line wasn't going to be for them. They were going to miss their flight like most of us waiting in line. And so they tried to turn around and get out of the line. And this guy has a Jeep, so I guess he figured he was going to be okay. But if you remember, it rained pretty hard the Saturday before last Sunday, and that field was absolute mud. I didn't get him in the picture. He's standing about right here, arms crossed, looking at his formerly what it was his car. Um, and I thought to myself, yeah, waiting's hard. Especially when you're waiting and you don't have any sort of time frame for when that next thing is coming. 
Waiting's really difficult. And I think our tendency as human beings is to try to look for any shortcut that we can in order to get around the waiting. I mean, how many of you have tried to sort of circumvent the line at an amusement park? My wife can help you with Disney um, fast passes if you want. She's the queen of that. Or we wait for food to come at a restaurant. Or maybe it's, it's waiting for that next season of life, right? In high school, just waiting to get done so we can get to college. In college, waiting to get done so that we can find that job, or at least our parents are waiting for us to find that job. And, or maybe it's I'm single and I'm waiting to get married. Or maybe it's that next season, that next job, that next opportunity, and waiting can be really hard. Will you just lean in for a moment? Everybody waits. Everybody waits in life. But not everybody waits well. And the way that you wait, in many ways, will shape the life that you live. And what we're going to circle around in these parables that Jesus is going to tell this morning is that life in God's kingdom requires waiting with both patience and persistence. And I don't know about you, but I can wait with patience at some times in my life and sort of sit on my hands and just go, what's going to come is going to come, and, and I don't have any control over this, and I'm just sort of along for the ride. Or, or I can say, I'm going to make it through this season. I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to find a way out of it. But to wait with a, a balanced approach of both patience, God, you're at work in ways I can see and in ways I can't see, and God, you've called me to work also, but to trust that you're the one that makes something of this and you're the one that moves this along the field. To do both is really, really difficult. And I think we can add on top of this that as followers of Jesus, you may or may not agree with this, but as followers of Jesus, it often seems like God is on a way different timeline than we are. It feels like God moves way slower than we want him to move. And at times we can look up to heaven, we can pray and we go, hey God, are you, are you doing anything in this? I was reminded last week of somebody who said, God moves slowly. Will we learn to move as slow as him? To that end, Jesus tells some parables. Here's what he says. Verse 24 of chapter 13. Chapter 13 is where he launches into his sort of storytelling ministry where Jesus begins to tell a number of parables and they're directed towards the nation of Israel. They're his immediate audience, but they certainly apply to you and I today too. And here's what this parable says. Here's how it starts out. It says, he, Jesus, put another what? parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this subject of, of parables, a number of different parables that Jesus told. So I want to give us some context for what that word actually means. It's two words put together, para, which means to come alongside of, to strengthen, to build up, paraclete, an encourager. And bolo, or, or bole, which means literally to throw. So it's, it's Jesus walking along, 
in his everyday life, and he's going to throw some stories alongside of their normal, everyday existence. Now, a lot of followers of Jesus presume that parables are intended to confuse us, because often they did. But I want to assure you, that's actually not the original intent of a parable. Parables were used primarily by fishermen. They were used by tradesmen. They, they weren't taught in like the Socratic seminar. They weren't used by the philosophical elite. They were just sort of the everyday man's and woman's way of communicating some sort of, of truth. William Taylor said it like this. He said, the purpose of parabolic teaching is clear. Its aim is to elucidate the truth, not to obscure it, still less to conceal an issue or to serve as a punishment. Yeah, parabolic teaching was intended to create spiritual awakening. People would hear Jesus teaching and he would say, this is sort of like that. The kingdom of God is sort of like a wheat field, and they were, they were intended to go, oh, 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 I didn't see it like that before. I, I didn't get that before. He tells these stories because stories have, have power. As Robert McKee, the, the great storyteller and studier of stories said, he said, stories are the best way to get ideas into the world. I would argue that they are also the best way to get ideas into our heart. And so to that end, Jesus starts telling stories. And most of his stories or parables that he tells in Matthew chapter 13 are about what? The kingdom of heaven. So if I point to it, you can just say it, okay? And you'll see. Are about what? <laughs> the kingdom of heaven, which begs the question, what in the world is the kingdom of heaven? And I've met so many followers of Jesus who cannot answer that question. And it saddens me because if we were to say to Jesus, Jesus, you have one sermon to preach on this stage, what would you preach about? We can pretty well guess, because it's what he taught about everywhere he went, that his one sermon would be about the kingdom of heaven. It was his central message. So what is it? What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is anywhere that God gets his way. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's where the rule and reign of God is realized. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is today, Jesus would say. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and the kingdom of heaven will be fully someday. Will be fully someday. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is anywhere God gets what God wants. Whether it's in God's world and in your family and in your home and in your workplace and um, anywhere you go at your school or in your heart. When you forgive, you invite the kingdom. When you love, you live in the kingdom. It goes where you go if God has his rule and reign in you. 
And so Jesus wants to tell us some stories about what that kingdom is like, what that rule and that reign is like. So if you have your Bible, I'm not going to put these up on the screen. I want to read for you a number of verses, and I'm going to tell you three stories, or Jesus is going to tell you three stories that all connect about what his kingdom is like. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 24. Are you there? Swipe there, click there, however you need to get there so that you can follow along. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and, and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Story number two. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and it becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. Story number three. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Three stories. And notice that there's sort of a, a pattern. There's a number of similarities to each of the stories. The first one includes a farmer who goes out and he plants seeds. The second one is about a little mustard seed that's put into the ground and slowly grows. And the third one about a woman who puts leaven into dough and then starts to work. What you will see in each one of the stories as you study it and as you look at it is that the kingdom of God, and Jesus wants us to understand this, the kingdom of God grows through a process. It's not instantaneous. It grows through a process. It's not instantaneous. How many of you planted a garden this year? Yeah, our, we planted a garden this year as well, which is just simply a way of saying we donated $50 to Wilmore. That, that's what that means. Because my kids went and they sort of dug the trenches in our garden and they planted the seeds and they watered it and they did that on day one. And then the next day, they got up early in the morning, were so excited, um, went to the screen door, opened it up, ran out to the garden, and what did they see? Dirt. That's what they saw. They saw nothing. Because what happened overnight? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot that we can see. And I think if we're honest as followers of Jesus in a modern digital age, the fact that kingdom growth is a process is really, really hard for us. I mean, we are getting into a day and age where it feels like prime two-day shipping on Amazon takes forever. Who's with me? 
Like, when are they going to deploy the drones that get it to our house in an hour after we order it? They've done studies that show that if a video on YouTube takes more than a few seconds to load, you are out. You're out. We live in a microwave culture, and we treat spiritual growth and the kingdom of God in the exact same way. God, if you're going to bring it, our expectation is that you bring it now. Now, and if you promise it, why would you wait on delivering it? See, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that as followers of the way of Jesus, if that's who you are this morning, as followers of the way of Jesus, we have got to become people who embrace the process and embracing the pro- in embracing the process, we have to find and celebrate the small victories along the way. We've got to be able to see. Yeah, the marriage isn't exactly what I hoped it would be or become, but, but it's, it's changing. The lines of communication are opening up a little bit. We could celebrate that. Um, yeah, the, the person that I'm sharing my faith with at my workplace, they, they haven't come to know Jesus yet, but, but there's this softening Like, you do know that if you're the first Christian that somebody doesn't hate, that's progress. That's progress. And for them, it's it's a what? It's a process. It's a process. And we want to see it immediately. And we want to close the deal. And we want it to happen. And God says, hey, 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 I know it looks like dirt. But something's going on underneath you have no idea about. What if, what if, what if we gave ourselves the same kind of grace? What if we recognize that we're far from who we long to be? But God, you're changing me little by little, and there's still a long way to go. What if we learn to give ourselves the grace that we long for other people to give to us and that we want to give to other people? See, if you were to go back and you were to ask one of the early followers of Jesus what one of the most frustrating things about being around Jesus was, I think they would have told you, he moves so slowly, he's so unhurried, and why won't he just implement the kingdom of God? And for them, they meant the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Rome cannot coexist. It's one or the other. And if the kingdom of God is here, people shouldn't be being killed on Roman crosses outside of Jerusalem. Just throw that out there. And people were so frustrated that Jesus was way more interested in a process than he was in instantaneously implementing his kingdom. And so it was difficult for people. Listen to the way that Jesus continues in this story. If you have your own Bible, it'll be easier to follow along than this, but I wanted you to be able to see it. Verse 25. So while his men were sleeping, this is after the good farmer sows his seed, his, his, his whom? Enemy. Enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. If you're a note taker, can I just, I just encourage you, maybe write this down. God only sows good seeds, but God is not the only one sowing seeds. 
God only sows good seeds, but God is not the only one sowing seeds. And man, we wrestle with this question, don't we? The question of why do bad things happen? Like, God, why don't you just come and implement your kingdom, your kingdom of love, your kingdom of justice, your kingdom of goodness, your kingdom of grace, your kingdom of mercy? Why don't you just come and implement it and extinguish all the empires of this earth? Come on. And the servants of the master of the house came to him, master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Hey, God, I thought you were a good God. Why are, there, why are there weeds? We'll find out later, and as Jesus explains this parable, it's one of only two parables that Jesus explains or that we have recorded that he explained in the scriptures. Uh, he's gonna tell you that the, the wheat is, is evil. God, I thought you were good. Why is there evil growing in your field? How then does your field have weeds in it? God only sows good seed, but God's not the only one sowing seed. He said to them, verse 28, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Jesus, we can help you out here. Farmer, we can help you out. If your field has both wheat that's good in it and weeds that are bad in it, why don't you send us on a mission to go and do some weeding? That seems really logical. We'll go find all the wheat and we'll pull it out and we'll, we'll leave all of the wheat and the weeds will be gone. But Jesus said, verse 29, no. Wait, what? Why wouldn't a good farmer want the bad crop out of his field? No. Lest in gathering their weeds, here's he's going to tell you why, you root up the wheat along with them. See, here's the deal. Right now, the kingdom of God is what scholars would call now but not yet. I think maybe um, a, a more nuanced way of understanding that is the kingdom of God is here, but it has competition. There's an enemy sower that we live in the kingdom growth happens amidst cosmic conflict, not just a victory parade. There's an enemy. There's an enemy. And so Jesus gives a, what I would argue is a troubling methodology for dealing with evil, for dealing with weeds, Here's, let me give you just three quick things. Here, here's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants us to understand on a way deeper level than we ever hope to understand the complexity of badness. The complexity of badness. And here's what I mean. Wheat and the weeds that Jesus, Zazania in the Greek, that Jesus is specifically talking about look strikingly similar, don't they? And as they grow, they continue to look similar. And it's not until harvest that you can start to sort of tell the difference. But I think what Jesus is saying, and maybe don't take too much offense to this, but try to see if you can see it in your own heart and soul and life, is that the workers in the field, you and I, are not discerning enough to be able to separate the wheat and the weeds. 
That's God's job. We don't get to decide who's in and who's out. Because here's the deal, here's the deal. Typically, we decide who's in and who's out, who's good and who's bad based on our own biases. If they look like us, talk like us, believe like us, think like us, they're good. Because I'm good. But if they think different than me, believe different than me, talk different than me, have a different background than me, have different experiences than me, and have a different way of looking at the world, then they're bad. And it's usually my own biases that cloud whether or not someone or something is good or bad. But here's the truth, friends, is that the, the complexity of badness isn't just out there. The complexity of badness is also in here. It's in here. Let's do a little bit of an experiment. We'll just use the Bible, okay? Here we go. That's always a safe bet when you're in church. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So just a quick time out. Um, raise your hand if you've ever loved. Raise your hand. Okay, keep it up, keep it up. Look around, look around. Almost everyone, Okay. The person that doesn't have their hand up just isn't playing. I'm hoping, right? <laughs> and anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever not loved. Keep it up. Keep it up. Are you wheat or weeds? Yes. Yes. So if we were going to go and start ripping up weeds, we might have to start with us. And Jesus is saying this is way more complicated. And John knows exactly what he's doing. He knows he's making this, this um, paradoxical contrast where you go, I'm not exactly sure totally where I fall. And his intention is he wants to point you, to draw you to Jesus, to throw your life once again on grace. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, he said, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line of dividing good and evil cuts through every, the heart of every human being. And who's willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Yeah, I think Jesus wants to say it's complicated but, but, you may respond and go, rightly, but Jesus, didn't you have a few things to say about evil? I mean, Jesus, didn't you care about people who were suffering? Didn't you care about people who were being abused? God, don't you care about things like slavery in our world today? Don't you care about people who are wronged and injustice? Like Jesus, your Bible has a lot to say about injustice. And Jesus, when you saw people who were possessed by demons, you drove them out. You didn't just pray for them and go be well and be fed. Good luck with that. People who were crippled, he healed them. 
And he said to you and I, hey, you're in a spiritual battle. So there's some approach to the weeds, isn't there? I mean, as John Stuart Mill said one time, now famously, he said, the only thing it takes for evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing. Nothing. So what do we do with that? See, I would argue that this parable isn't saying that we do nothing about evil or injustice or the suffering that we see in the world. This parable is not saying that we sit on our hands. This parable is saying that the way we respond has to be in line with the kingdom ethic that we believe. And so, when Jesus, on the night that he's betrayed, is with Peter, and Peter takes out his sword, and he cuts off the soldier's ear, does Jesus say, oh yeah, it's game time, baby. Let's do this. Everybody, get your swords. You've bled with Wallace, bleed with me, right? Like, does he go Braveheart? He doesn't, right? He goes bleeding heart, and he picks up the ear that's lying on the ground, and he goes over to the soldier's head, and he puts it right back on. Now, the fact that everybody wasn't converted in that moment just shows you that there was some spiritual blindness there. I mean, I think most of us think we probably would have been like, okay, yeah, that's, that's the deal right there, right? <laughs> and here's what he says to Peter. Peter, put the sword away, man. Put the sword away. For not all that take the sword, for all that take the sword will perish by. I think he's saying, like, this isn't, that's not the way my kingdom's gonna come. In contrast, he says it actually in verse 30. It's subtly, it's there in the Greek more profoundly than it is in the English translation. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. This word let can be translated allow or permit or suffer. Suffer that both grow together, or it can be translated as forgive. 47 out of the 156 times that word is used in the New Testament, it's translated forgive. Forgive that both of them grow together. It sounds like something Jesus-y, doesn't it? Like when he's on the cross, his anthem is not... Father, get them. Father, rip out those weeds. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And for you, as a kingdom ambassador, a kingdom carrier, his command for you, you don't get to pray about whether or not you follow it if you're a disciple, is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And people that wrong you, forgive them seven times up, seven times 70 or an infinite number. See, and, and if you're writing this down, I encourage you to just jot this down. Jesus is teaching us that the best way to confront evil is to grow the influence of the kingdom. The best way to confront evil is to grow the influence of the kingdom. But, but, he says, okay, so um, understand the complexity of badness. Trust in the power of goodness and love and forgiveness. Trust in the power of goodness. It only takes a little bit of light to extinguish the darkness. Trust in that power. But also, I think Jesus is saying, don't lose sight of the end. And when Jesus explains this parable, listen to what he said. 
He said, the field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are those sons of the evil one and the evil enemies who sowed them is the devil. So that's the counterfeit farmer. The harvest is the end of the age, the end of time, and the reapers are angels. We don't have time this morning. That's fascinating though. Okay, verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with a fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then, and then, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. I think what Jesus would say is understand the complexity of badness, trust in the power of goodness, and do not lose sight of the end. Don't lose sight of the end. That there will come a day when God turns the world to rights. And while this may grate on some of our Western American understanding of like kumbaya and a God of love, um, we've talked about this before. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the message in Jonah where we talked about justice and love, that those aren't two separate things, but they're, they're part of the two sides of the same coin. God is not loving if he does not get the sin and brokenness and abuse and violence and hatred and evil out of his kingdom. And he says, one day there will be no more competition. There will not be a counterfeit farmer. And if you do not want to go to the fiery, how he describes it as the fiery furnace, let go of your evil and run into his kingdom. Because of his goodness and his love, he says, I'm going to ultimately get rid of that. And if you've ever been abused, and if you've ever been taken advantage of, if you've been on the other side of injustice, if you've been on the other side of hate, you long for that day. And Jesus says, it's coming. It's coming. I've got to land the plane here in just a few moments. But he tells two more stories. One of a mustard seed that starts out really, really small and then grows to be really, really large. Next of leaven that you can't even see that starts out in dough and it's kneaded around and then finally it's absolutely everywhere. Notice this. In the first parable, the enemy cannot damage the wheat. He can only grow weeds. He can't damage the wheat. He can only grow weeds. In the second and third parable, there isn't even any opposition. And I think what Jesus is teaching us is that we as followers of Jesus who often find ourselves in that line of waiting and we're waiting on his kingdom to come and his will to be done in our lives and in our world, and it can be frustrating, I think you would want to say to us, lean in this morning and know that kingdom growth is unhurried, but ultimately, ultimately, it is unstoppable. Jesus says, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He doesn't say they might not prevail. He says they will not prevail. And Philippians and its anthem about Jesus says that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It 
will happen. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, it will happen. It will happen. So today, friends, may we be people who live with perseverance. This is the invitation of Jesus throughout these parables, who live with perseverance. Don't let the visual progress or lack thereof of God's kingdom in your life, in your neighborhood, in your family, don't let the lack of visual progress prevent you from continuing to live in the way of love. When it looks like it's just dirt, keep watering. Keep watering. There's a seed underneath there. And God is faithful to grow it. Perseverance. Man, as parents, this should be one of the main things we long to instill into our kids. We live in a tap-out generation, and I long to raise kids when life gets hard who keep putting one foot in front of the other. How about you? How about you? to live with perseverance. Second, that we would be people who live with confidence. It will happen. It will happen. God is growing his church. I mean, think of how hard it would have been to, for people, the 120 people who are in that little room after Jesus has been taken to heaven. If you were to drop down in the middle of that little prayer meeting of terrified people, and if you were to say to them, hey, hey, just wait. Because in 2,000 years, there's going to be 2 billion people around the globe who claim to believe in and trust in and declare that Jesus is Lord. I know you seem like a little ragtag bunch now, but just wait. And friends, anytime you hear somebody say, oh, the church is on the decline, just ask them what God's doing in Africa because it's exploding there. Ask him what God is doing in China because the underground church is flourishing and the church isn't doing nearly as bad in the States as people long for you to think. Fear sells, but I can tell you with confidence, Jesus has not given up on his church. And I can say, even as there's transitions in front of this church, South Fellowship Church, its grounding is on Jesus, not on Ryan. And God has a great plan for this church in the future. You can have confidence in it. And you should have confidence in it. Because he's not done. And finally, finally, if his kingdom is coming and his will will be done, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, let's start today. Let's be devoted today. Let's start with repenting today, confessing today, following today, saying yes today. Don't let the pain in the middle of the story distract you from the end. The end, my friends, is known. So as you put away your stuff, I just wanna invite you to stand up right where you are, to stand up right where you are, and we're gonna close with one last chorus of this great song, but I wanna ask you what you're waiting for. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting on hope this morning? Are you waiting on a relationship to be mended? Does it seem like maybe God's just sitting on his hands and withholding his kingdom? Maybe it just looks like dirt to you. But I can assure you, I know the farmer and there's a seed under there somewhere. 
Let's be people who wait well. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Let's just pause and wait for a moment. alone is my salvation. He is my rock and my salvation, my healing. He's my fortress and I will not be shaken. So God, in the long lines of life and in the repeated prayers that sometimes we feel like are bouncing off the ceiling of heaven back to us, we want to be people who wait well, with patience and persistence, that we would persevere, that we'd have confidence, and that, Lord, in the midst of difficult seasons, maybe painful seasons, we would remain fully devoted, trusting that you are good, and remembering, remembering that one day, one day, your kingdom will be present here without competition from the enemy, where love and justice and beauty and goodness and truth will flourish. Help us live today. In light of that day, we pray in Jesus' name.